0: Morning, everybody. Oh, I am so glad that you are here, and uh, I'm glad to be walking, so that's awesome, too. So uh, I, uh, I don't know what your week has been like or even what your morning has been like, but I just want to say, you know, it's good to be in a house today, isn't it? And no matter what happened or what you're going through uh, or what people around you are going through, it's just good to be here and good to be with God's people and really this is one of the core uh points that that Peter would even point to later on in this in this letter that we've been studying as we're in week two of a series called citizens and strangers Peter would talk about this and he would talk about our lifestyle and what a life is supposed to be like while we live this life between here and eternity with God in heaven so like what in between I want to give you the bottom line and the bottom line is this: from new birth, from new birth to hopeful eternity, God is fathering us as exiles in a foreign land. I'll say it again. From new birth to our hopeful eternity, God is fathering us. He's fathering us as exiles in this foreign land. This would become the, the backdrop of this next passage, and really all of First Peter as he's trying to drill down on certain things for us to understand what it means to walk with God, what it means to have a relationship with God, what it means to have this future inheritance with God, but also it's a future, uh, it's, it's a future hope, but it's also a, a current inheritance and how all of that works together. We're going to see that today. And in the middle of this, what we hopefully will have answered is the questions that I introduced last week and the questions with this, does the Christian flee from the world? Do they fight the world? Do they fight it? Do they conform to it or they seek to change it? And then the second question that goes with it, is there a deeper reason for us as Christians and the Christian call us strangers in the world? Like what's the point? What's the point in our suffering? What's the point of our faith? What's the point to these things? And these would be uh, things that Peter would talk about, but he would do it in such an interesting way. He would do it in a way that instills hope, but he was also real about the current situation. There was a example in history that I, I couldn't just pass up, and it was President Kennedy. He, President Kennedy, uh, John F. Kennedy, he said this in 1962. He, he painted a picture of the future, but when he painted a picture of the future, it wasn't this this version of the future that was perfect. As a matter of fact, it was far from perfect. And at the time, if you know anything about history, at the same time, the, the United States and Russia were going back and forth, and they're in the space race, and all of it's going on, and who's going to get there first? Who's going to take the credit? Who's going to take a back seat? All of these things were happening. And this is what President Kennedy said at Rice University in 1962. He said, the U.S. will send humans 240,000 miles away from the control station in Houston in a giant rocket. More than 300 feet tall, made of metal alloys, some of which have not even been invented, is what he would say. Capable of standing heat and stresses several times more than have ever been experienced. Fitted together with a precision better than the finest watch. Carrying all the equipment Needed for propulsion, guidance, control, communications, food, and survival. On an uncharted mission to an unknown celestial body. And then safely return to earth. Re-entering the earth at speeds in excess of 25,000 miles an hour. Causing heat about half of that of the sun. And do all of this. And do it right. And do it first, is what he says. Before the decade is out. He says, we must be bold as we sail we ask God's blessing on the most hazardous and dangerous and greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked. Now, I think he's wrong on the last part because I think the greatest adventure and the most dangerous uh, and and the most hazardous thing that has ever been embarked is the launching of the early church. Because from that moment on, people's lives have been taken and Christians have been running like wild because of it. Maybe not in this country, but in other parts of the world, even today. And yet he, he told of the perils and the struggles to get there. That's how he began. He didn't begin to say, hey, we're going to be there, and it's going to be awesome, it's going to be great, we're going to do it, there's, there's no one's going to lose their life, and we're going to get there the first time, and we're going to be first, we're going to beat Russia, like we're going to be the ones who stand on top. Instead, he painted a picture of all the perils. And he says, these are the obstacles that we face. And notice what he says And this is a direct quote. He says, we do these things not because they're easy, but because they're hard. My opinion, I think that Christians today have gotten soft in this country. We haven't learned the value of doing hard things. We haven't learned the value of persevering. If we don't want to persevere in a church because there's a church in every corner, we can leave this church and go to another and learn not to persevere in that one only to leave that one to go to another one. And because of where we live on the Bible Belt, we can pick 10 different churches in the course of 10 different weeks and it seems like nobody will even know we can just ghost everyone. We just haven't learned the value of persevering and what President Kennedy would say is we are going to face these perils. He says we're going to do them Not because they're easy, but because they are hard. And you know what happened less than seven years later? A gentleman, maybe you know his name. What's his name? A gentleman was the first one to step foot on the moon. And Neil Armstrong would step foot on the moon, and he said what? He said this is one small step for man, but one giant leap for mankind. And he changed the way that the country looked at their relationship with Russia on what they can do as a people. And, and it's just a, that's just a fraction as to what Peter is going to get at today. Because he does something in this message that's hopeful, but he talks about trials, he talks about grief, he talks about the struggle, but he, but he paints this picture of the future. And he talks about this inheritance, an inheritance that, we, will, that we, are, we have received now, but yet we will receive in full, like when we'll actually see it in full, when we get to heaven. But he paints a picture and he talks about the perils and he talks about the struggle and he talks about the journey, but he says something is gonna happen through this. God is going to be honored and he's going to be glorified and he's going to be praised like never before. I'm getting before. I'm getting ahead of myself because that's what we're going to read right now. 1 Peter 1 verse 3 says this, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. We're going to cycle back to this. If you're somebody who underlines or highlights in your Bible or Bible app, maybe you want to underline, highlight, do whatever you want to do. Uh, this, uh, these phrases, new birth, we're going to come back to that. Into a living hope, we're also going to come back to that. And it says, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance. We're going to drill down in that too. That can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be received in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. He says, so these things are happening for you, and you may have to suffer grief and all sorts of trials, but know that you have this inheritance that's been kept by God in heaven. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what he just said. He said, it's kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now you, for a little while, you have, you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And he finishes this section out with this in verse 10. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that they had not been told you by those who had preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. And what Peter is connecting with is another passage in Matthew 13, when Jesus would talk about even the prophets didn't completely understand what they were talking about the prophets were were given a message by the holy spirit of god and their job was to convey the message and that they even by faith were believing that the messiah would come that they didn't know fully what was going on but yet they believed in the promise they believed that the that there was a future inheritance we're going to we just read about this we're going to see more in just a moment they were seeing all these things from a lens of faith and he says and now we have we have seen Jesus, the fulfillment of the promise. We live in in light of this, is what he would say. And he begins, if you're a note taker, you may want to write the first part down. He says, praise be to the God of our salvation. And what he's saying is, he's saying, bless God. He's like, he knows what he's about to write. He knows the circumstances. He knows that Nero is running down Christians to put them on stakes, to burn them in his personal gardens. He knows this, and he doesn't begin this with poor, poor, pitiful me. I can't believe they're doing this with Christians today. Don't they know that we're good people? Don't, know, don't they know we're just trying to love one another? Don't they know that we just love them? Don't they know that we're trying to love our neighbor as ourselves? This isn't where he starts. Notice where he starts. He blesses God. He's like, praise God I get to suffer. That's what he's saying. Praise God that I'm one of the chosen ones who gets to suffer. That way I can live a life that I'm on fire for Jesus and people will come around and notice me. And they will come and see the fire that is burning in my life. That's where he begins. He doesn't start with, I can't believe I don't have this and I can't believe those friends left and I might lose my job and I can't believe they're running around and I can't believe I lost my friend. He says, no, he's blessing God. He says, I praise God because God is worthy to be praised. And he says, and through this, I hope that I glorify God and that I honor God so then therefore I can praise God. That's what he's saying. He doesn't start with himself. With himself, He inspires the people of God by showing a better picture of God and the point of their suffering many people walk away from the Christian faith because they, they were never actually set apart by Christ in the first place but yet they found the Christian life lacking or practicing the Christian life because they didn't live in light of this they had no category in their life to say how do I suffer how do I endure trials how do I go through this and as soon as they, they commit to maybe a community or they, they commit their life to Jesus and, or they go through some religious actions, and then as soon as they face a hardship, they don't have these, these things as a foundational means to their, their spiritual life. And you know what they do? They vacate the church. And they vacate God. And they say, God, how could you? And then the problem isn't with God. God's Word tells us exactly what we're going to go through. But more importantly, He tells us He's going to go through them with us. It isn't just for us to endure and like, I just can't wait to get to heaven. He says, no, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. And Peter blesses God, rejoicing in what God has done, that Jesus had come, that he had lived this perfect life, that he had... He died on the cross to take away the sins of the world that he had resurrected, and he showed himself to to Peter and the rest of the fellows and more than 500 people at the same time. It's what it says in 1 Corinthians 15 right at the beginning. It's an awesome read. You ought to jump into it. It's like he revealed himself to more than 500 people at the same time just to blow their minds so that no one would have an excuse to say, well, I just don't think the whole Jesus thing was real. He says, no, no, no. He appeared to more than 500 people, and when Paul wrote that in 1 Corinthians 1, 15 rather he said and they're still alive he's like if you don't believe me go ask them they're still alive many of them are still alive so he starts with praise be to God then he says in his great mercy he has given us new birth in his great mercy it is only by the great mercy of God that someone can come into a saving relationship with Jesus in the first place It says in Romans 5.8 that God demonstrated His own love for us, for us Christians, in that, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated, He showed that love for us. Not when we were cleaned up, not when we were perfect, not when we were religious, not when our church attendance was right, not when it was wrong. It's when we were dead in our sins, we had nothing to offer God. But He demonstrated His own love for us. He didn't wait for us, listen to me, listen to me. He didn't wait for us to love him. He showed his love for us first. That is an amazing truth of the gospel. That he didn't just wait for us to say, well, if they do these religious things, then that's going to verify that they really love me. And then when they love me, then I'm going to show them that, that I love them. No. God took the initiative to send by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die for sinners, not for saved people, for spiritually dead people. And that's the beginning of this story. It says, in His great mercy. But I want to see another thing to drill down on is this. God brings believers into a new birth. It's through regeneration. Regeneration. We're going to see the theological implication of this in just a moment. But God brings believers into a new birth. Regeneration is something that happens instantaneously when someone gives their life to Jesus and their their body is just infused or indwelled by the Holy Spirit. They're automatically regenerated. The, The dead part of our sin... Uh, a dead part of our lives, we've been given a new nature and in it is, is a new way to think, a new way to love, a new way to live, a new family to be a part of. We have uh, just a reality that we have the Heavenly Father who loves us. I love uh, Good, Good Father. I love singing that song. This is one of the ways that God brought me to salvation was just through the, the love of, of the Heavenly Father that I felt was so lacking in my life, but I, just this realization that I have this and that you can have this. Through, through our Heavenly Father who made us. But God brings believers into this new birth through regeneration. I want you to know that regeneration is all around us here. I want, uh, the 915 was so compliant on this. I'm gonna see if you guys will be too. I want you guys to put out your left arm or whatever arm. I know sometimes you're like, which one's left? I tricked you. It's my left, your right. Just put, put out an arm, all right? Take the other arm. I want you to do this right here. Right here. Just pretend you're scratching an itch, although you're probably not. And if you are, if you have poison ivy there, I apologize. It's going to be everywhere tomorrow, so just deal with that. All right, you can put your hands down. That was a little creepy, wasn't it? It was. It was, a little, was it a little weird? You guys are awesome. The reason why I did that is I said regeneration is all around you because literally your skin regenerates every 27 days, all of your skin. That's weird, right? All of your skin regenerates. Well, you're like, well, why did I scratch my arm? Now the reason why I did this is again to do you a favor because I was doing some research on this and regeneration of your skin and there's ways to to take off dead skin cells. You can exfoliate. I don't even know what that is. I ain't doing that. Um, you can do some of this and that's the reason why sometimes you do this in the light. You can actually see stuff coming off of of your skin, right? The dead skin cells. So that's gross. But when I studied this out, one of the one of the people explained it. I think it was a dermatologist. He explained it. He says, he said. So there 's new skin, and then there's like uh, there's like dead corpse of skin on top of the new skin. so I just did you a favor by taking off some of that dead rotting corpse off of your skin and now it's your job to do the rest of it but you're clean right here so you'd get a lot at church so that's really good another thing uh they'll give you an example about regeneration you see your skin that is something that god has put in you that your body automatically does itself it isn't like you have to think about it, like okay good i just regenerated you know the skin of my hand right like it just it just happens another uh, example of regeneration honestly i was reminded of this this week Uh, My family and I, we've been here for nine years. We just crossed over the nine-year threshold here and being at DBC. And I know, I know, yay. See, I'm happy to be here too. Um, So it's been an amazing ride and journey. But when we got here these nine years ago or so, um, we had about 32 to 36 people in the church, all total. Like all total. And so now on a given Sunday, we may have that in our kids' ministry. So I know it's an, it's an amazing thing, but you see the the church decided something then, and the leadership decided in that time they decided if we were going to regenerate, it, if you will, if we're going to to have a, a new birth, we're going to have to bring new life. He says uh, we decided that to to reach people that we weren't currently reaching, that we had to do things that we weren't currently doing. So we had to regenerate and change, and then you are the uh, like you're walking testimonies to the faith of the leadership at the time, and the 915 was as well. And I'll give you another example, uh, because maybe you're not uh, connected to the whole skin thing, and I lost you at skin. Well, if you like eating, I'll bring you back with this. Uh, Even in downtown Dublin in these nine years, we've seen just a, a tremendous amount of regeneration that's happened in downtown Dublin. If you remember, it wasn't that long ago, there wasn't a whole lot of restaurants down there. It was kind of like the whole city was kind of like, looked like, Kind of just decay, and not much happened or was happening then. But now, now nine years later, the city managers come together, city leadership comes together, entrepreneurs come together, and then voila! What happened? They got together to regenerate the downtown, and now it's great. It's a bustling downtown. All these restaurants going in. The only thing I don't like about it is I spend more money at all these restaurants. But but I like eating, so you know it's you have to have one with the other. And yet there's a lot of Great things that are happening down there that is a matter of regeneration. I just gave you three examples of regeneration, but all of these have to do with, with, with our, what we do. When it comes to spiritual regeneration, this is simply what God does. This is simply what God does. When we talk about spiritual regeneration, there was a gentleman in John 3. The guy's name was Nicodemus. And this is the way that Jesus had this interaction with Nicodemus. And this is the way that Jesus explained regeneration to Nicodemus. He said, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Nicodemus, uh, after Jesus, he'd said, hey, you got to be born again. Nicodemus is like, I'm a full grown man and I've got a beard. This is weird. I don't even know what this means. Like, I've already made it out. How am I going back in to come back out? I don't know. What, what are you talking about? And she says, no, no, no. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. What he's painting a picture uh, of with Nicodemus, it's not a matter of your human effort to be regenerated. It's a matter of the work of God. This is also what Paul would write to Timothy in uh, or rather to to Titus in Titus 3, 4, and 5, and this idea of spiritual birth. He says, when the kindness and love of God our Father appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of His mercy. Notice a lot of the same themes that Peter would talk about. And he, says, and he continues, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life, which leads me into this next point. New birth brings a believer into new life. New birth brings a believer into new life. And in new life, I believe that God does give fresh vision for what the future is. I believe He does this. The, the vision for what, what, is, what does our future hold. I believe that, that uh, there's a redirected purpose. There's an identity that is given to believers. I believe that there is a reframing of, of the mind and a renewal of the mind that can happen. And that's what it says in Romans twelve two. I also believe in accordance with what it says in Ezekiel 36, I believe in verse 26 and 27, that when this new life comes, there's, God does this amazing exchange taking out our heart of stone that does not love God, but instead it, God gives us a heart of flesh, and of this heart is to want to know God and to love God and to be connected with God. Because before this, before new life, we had nothing that would lead us to want to to connect with God at all. It was God who initiated faith for us to have this longing for new life. Also, we'll continue on. Through the resurrection of Jesus, believers have a living hope. They have a living hope. In this passage, it says, in His great mercy, He has given us a, Given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. So, through the resurrection of Jesus, believers have a living hope. It's not just rooted in our resurrection, which again, go into 1 Corinthians 15. It talks about, in I think, three or four different uh, aspects. Of resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, the future resurrection of the believer, the hopeful resurrection, also what that is even going to look like and what maybe even what may be transpiring at that time for some people. An amazing picture of the future of this idea of living hope. And if you're in Christ, we have a living hope because Jesus Christ is alive. Amen. That's why we have a living hope because it is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus, that it was a fact, that it changed. It changed the world. It changed the the way that, that we viewed time. It, everything about the resurrection changed uh, mankind forevermore. And this 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 hope, this living hope, is rooted in the resurrection. And I ran around. I ran through this story of an Asian woman by the name of Nina Wang. And Nina Wang, she she found out that she had cancer, and then she changed her, her will to give her inheritance to, to a, I, I have to say this, uh, the, a feng shui master, right? I'm hoping none of you have that because the reason why she was giving her inheritance to this feng shui master is because she believed by doing so that she would get eternal life. So then one year later, she dies tragically of, I believe, ovarian cancer when she's 69 years old. And all of that money was then given to this Feng Shui master, just like she wanted it to. She was clinging to hope. She was clinging to, to just, okay, if I, if I give this, then this, this last righteous act will be enough to, to seal me for eternity. It's not how it works, is it? It's only through Jesus So, the the hope of a future, of our future, rests on the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. This is our, this is foundational to our living hope. And that by that, the same power that resurrected Jesus from the grave has then been promised to believers to be able to, to live life today. Now let's drill down in this word inheritance. Back to the passage. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So into this inheritance. It says that it will never perish, spoil, or fade. Now I took a bite out of this apple uh, earlier today, I took it right out of the refrigerator. Didn't even bother taking the sticker off. I usually, I uh, almost bought it, bit it in the wrong place. But uh, it doesn't look, it's, it's actually, if you're up close, you can actually, can you guys see that? It's discoloring just a little bit. This only a couple hours old. It's discoloring a little bit. What's this going to look like tomorrow? Brown. If, it's going to look brown, right? And then maybe Wednesday. What's it going to look like on Wednesday? Yeah. Yuck! I didn't, no words, Yuck! I don't know, spell that. Uh, I'm not sure that's in the dictionary, but I get the point. Now, in a month, what's this going to look like? Right? Wow, that was, that was yucked to a higher volume, which it means really bad. What's this going to smell like in six months? Right? If I just set this thing right here for everybody to see, it's going to be disgusting, right? Because everything on this earth is going to perish, spoil, and fade. Everything. Essentially, everything is going to turn into fertilizer. Think about it. Everything here. In this picture of the future that Peter casts vision for, and he says, this inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Well, why? The verse continues. He said, it's kept in heaven for you. Then he uses this this peculiar little phrase. He says, who through faith, that means our faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed and the last time. This idea of being shielded is is like a military term. It's a, a fortress around a garrison. Picture Fort Knox. Picture that. Picture this great military installation, just layers and layers and layers and layers and layers of security and fortressing to keep what's valuable inside and to keep everything else outside. And this is what Peter would say. He says, this is kept in heaven for you as Christians. And it's shielded not by your power or your willpower, or your knowledge, or your good gifts. He said, This is shielded. What does it say? Let's go back to the passage. It's shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed and the last time. He says, It's kept in heaven by God, by the power of God for you. This is your inheritance. This idea of inheritance is, is an interesting one. I'll give you another story. There's a, a Portuguese man who left his fortune to 70 total strangers. 70 total strangers. What's really weird about this is he decided that he was going to leave them to 70 total strangers, but this is back in the days of the phone book, so he takes out the phone book. Uh, dun, dun, white pages, not the yellow pages. You're not going to give them to a business, right? White pages, dun, dun, dun. Oh, we'll pick this one. Pick this one. Pick 70 total strangers. Pick their name, put them in his will. He dies 13 years later. Much to the surprise of the people who received his inheritance— Everything that he had promised to to those, to the 70 that he had promised it to, they said, hey, uh, they got a phone call or somebody showed up at the door and says, hey, you've inherited this money. It's from somebody you didn't know who didn't know you, but he found you in the phone book. Imagine how weird that was. And these people actually believed that it was a hoax. They believed that it couldn't be real, but it was real. But they didn't receive the inheritance until he had died. They didn't even know that the inheritance existed until he had died. The inheritance that is being talked about by Peter is an inheritance that we have received now that precedes death. It's an inheritance he's letting us know no matter what the future holds, no matter what goes on, no matter what job loss or what what. Personal loss, or if you have a loved one who dies, says, No matter what kind of trial that you may endure, you may suffer all trials and all sorts of grief. He says, And no matter what it is that you go through, he says, But I want you to know that this inheritance is intact, and you indeed have already received it. You've already received it. Now, he said that it would never perish, spoil, or fade. Now let's talk about some things in the present day. He says this, in this you greatly rejoice. Verse 6, he says, in this you greatly rejoice. All these things. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So now, he says, the reality is, you have this inheritance. But for now, the ESV says it this way, in this you rejoice, though now... For a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So again, he, he paints a picture of the inheritance that they received, but he also is true to what they're experiencing. That they would have had, most likely had loved ones died at the hands of the Romans. They'd have had loved ones or they'd have known of people who've run for their lives because of Nero's conquest to kill and squash out this little sect known as Christianity. This made me think of, of something else that I've, I've seen. In our day, we have a hard time processing grief. And I think in particular to the Western world, to the United States, we have a hard time processing grief. I, I believe we have a hard time processing pain. I think we have a hard time processing Loss. I think so much of the American dream has built us up to where we have, we've become less resilient in, in knowing how to persevere in those times of trial. So I'm going to give you some, some steps, and I'll, it's the steps to process grief. These are not the steps that you could go online and, oh, the processing grief. As a matter of fact, the, the steps to process grief are rooted in somebody with not a, a Christian worldview, so I, I'm not even saying that I even agree with them. So this is not something that you're just going to find online. So, I'm going to give you some proper responses to all kinds of grief, whether, again, it's job loss, or loss of a loved one, or, or, or loss of your home, or whatever, just whatever it is that may happen. The first thing I want to say is acknowledge. Acknowledge. Acknowledge the pain. Don't, don't try and, men specifically, don't just try and Put that in some recess of your life and pretend that it doesn't exist. It's as foolish as, as somebody finding out they have cancer and then pretending that they don't have cancer. It, it, eventually, it's going to reveal itself. Acknowledge the pain, the loss. The second thing, process. Process the grief biblically. Process the grief Biblically. Process the pain biblically. Process the loss of that friend biblically. Process it biblically. Third thing, togetherness. The early church was together, and they it says that they had everything in common. Because once they had the Holy Spirit in common amongst all believers, it was as if they had everything in common. That everything in their life Um, it it paled in comparison to to being united with the Holy Spirit of God. You can look throughout all of of Paul's letters and even into some of the other letters in the New Testament, all of the one another's. This is the idea of togetherness. This is how the church persevered through this, this season of great trial. The fourth thing is confidence. Confidence. Not confidence in yourself. This isn't, well, I can just be confident. I can just white-knuckle it. No, no, no. It's confidence in in Psalm 46.1, and it says this, God is your present help in this time of need or in your current time of need. So you have confidence that God knows and that God cares and that He's present. The next one is perseverance. Perseverance. When we express grief and we process grief biblically, we're not going to settle for anger, slander, and malice. When we go through a loss, or we go through a loss of a loved one, or a job, or life just doesn't turn out the way that, that maybe we thought that it was going to, oftentimes what we tend to do is we look for somebody to blame, or we cast shade on this group, or this boss, or, or that church, or we, do, we try and blame someone else, and, and all of this is, is a way of deflecting so we don't have to process that loss. And so we need to learn to persevere by processing those losses instead of, just, instead of just pushing those off on someone else. And the last one is courage. The last one's courage. Again, not just courage in yourself like I can do this because I'm, you know, the rugged individual. You know, I'm a white-blooded American. It's not that. It's courage because Jesus is our brother. He's our Savior. And he will not leave us alone while we're going through this. This is what would just add fuel to their soul, even in the middle of these struggles. This would add fuel to their souls that they would be able to live the life that God was promising. Let's go back to our passage. It says this in verse 7. These have come, meaning these, the grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that... You're, that uh, so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor. And I want to just summarize it by saying: faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. A faith that 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 won't uh, won't be able to walk through the fire and won't be able to make it through the fire. You can't trust it. You you can't just like we talked about last week you have to ask yourself if you can't persevere when life is is dealt you maybe some unfair hands or if you just run away from God or you run away from church or you run away from God's people you have to seriously ask yourself am i in christ at all because a faith that cannot be tested can't be trusted and and that's what peter is talking about here but i want to continue this this idea and give you two uh, just one passage we we'll come into two sections and break it down in this way we need the testing we need the testing we need the refining that is talked about here in peter but also we need what james talks about in james 1 2 and 4 he says this consider it pure joy my brothers whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance perseverance must finish its work so that it may be mature and complete or whole, not lacking anything. So we need the testing. But James adds a hope to the end of this. Not only do we need the testing, also God provides for us in our testing same passage continues. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, so if you're in the middle of, of this testing, I want you to know that God provides for you in this testing, but look, what, look how God does this. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all He does. That's what it says there in James 1, 5 through 8. Peter, he paints this picture of reality that was so desirable, that was true to their current experience, but also it was also sharing the vision as to how their inheritance is going to be received and experienced in heaven with God. See, that's what I love about it. That's one of the things I love about the Bible. It's true to how we really feel. It talks about the betrayal of a friend. It talks about when, when a community just casts you out. It talks about... When, when we go through trials, and as we're Christians, we're going through trials, and it tells us that we don't have to be stuck in that. It tells us of these things, but also there's always this mention of hope. There's always this mention of, of hopefulness. There's always this mention of, hey, there's an inheritance that's coming. Hey, there's this new life that you're living. Hey, there's this new birth that you've been given. There's all of these things which are supposed to be seeds of vision planted in a believer's heart so that we don't give up hope. There was once a version of Christianity that believed this. They believed this when, when people around them were being put on stake and burned alive, set on fire, making public spectacles. Just decades, perhaps a century later, they would throw Christians in big coliseums, big amphitheaters, and they would have Christians be fed to the lions for sport. And yet the mission of Christianity made it through all of that because the Scriptures like these, because Scriptures like these point to the God who keeps our future secure in Him. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know if you just came in and you're kind of like, you know, maybe promised lunch. And you're not even a Christian at all. Or, or maybe for you, you were just kind of like roped in like everybody else was going. So you're like, I guess I'll go too. I don't know how it is that you came into the doors. But I want you to know that there is a God who, is, who has demonstrated his love for you. That even while you are a sinner, Christ died for you, for the ungodly. As a pathway into new birth, as a pathway into new life, and as a pathway into this this abundant life we live now and this this inheritance that we will receive and possess when we can stand in the presence of God. And it says of that future event that there's no pain, that there's no grief, there's no sorrow, there's no heartbreak, there's never going to be a betrayal of a friend, There's only going to be the glory of God. So how about we reframe the way that we look at life and even our trials? So we embrace challenging messages like this to where we can do what Peter said and said we can walk through all sorts of trials, and we can do so, and we can still praise God, and we can honor God, and we can glorify God. Not because of the way we feel, because of who God is. Let's pray together. Lord, I, I, I just want to echo everything that your word said today. And Lord, I ask that on behalf of, of these people, God, that maybe some of us will have some, some dead things come to life Maybe there's somebody who doesn't even know you, and God, maybe you're calling them to salvation right now, and they realize that they're dead in their sins, that, that if they were to die today, that they're indeed not going to be in heaven with you, but but they would be in, in a, a torturous place called hell. And and maybe, God, right now, you're drawing that person. Give them the courage at the close of the service to to go talk to me or one of the other pastors, uh, ministry leaders, to, to say, hey, uh, bring them into the fold to, to talk to them about the love of Jesus and the pathway to salvation. And God, I also pray in accordance with your word that, God, that I I pray that you would fill us with this inexpressible and this glorious joy. Even of those of us who have received salvation, God, as we are receiving the salvation for our souls, even today, by your mercy. God, I pray that you would that you would wake us up, that you would draw us to be closer to you and closer to one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.